Welcome to Take the Money, a production of Foster & Associates Financial Services, Inc., co-hosted by Philip Marion and David Winnell. Take the Money is a podcast exploring the challenges and opportunities facing entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals. Disclaimer, none of our discussions should be considered a recommendation to purchase any particular product, security, fund, or ETF, and all content should be considered for information purposes only. Before making any investment decision, our listeners are strongly encouraged to seek the counsel of a qualified investment advisor and make sure the investment is suitable for you. Now on to the show. All right, welcome to the show. Today we have Jordan Kaplan from the accounting firm Crow Soberman. Jordan is a partner in the firm's audit and advisory group, where he also serves as the international liaison partner to Crow Global, their worldwide network. Jordan is an experienced CPA whose practice includes many high net worth families and entrepreneurs. Welcome, Jordan. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to, uh, to a lively discussion. Absolutely. So let's just start. If you could tell us about yourself, uh, where you're from, how you got into accounting, and uh, why you joined Pro Soberman. Sure. So not a, not a very exciting story, but most accountants don't have an exciting story. Um, when I was in university, I ended up, uh, I was at York University and went to business school there, Schulich. In Schulich, you have to take prerequisites and then you have to specialize after. And I really had no clue what I wanted to do with my life or career. And my thought was, well, if I get a degree at, at that time it was a CA, now it's a CPA. If I get my CA, it'll give me all these options. I can go into finance, I can go into economics, I can do a lot of different things. So I said, okay, that's what I'll do. And I did it, went through, got my, my CA, started with a firm called Ernst & Winnie many, many years ago. Actually, I seemed to do well at it and made it my life career. I never did get into finance or economics or any of those other offshoots. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about the types of clients that you tend to work with? Sure. So the type of clients that I, I work with are generally high net worth individuals, entrepreneurs. I, I do do some cross-border work given my, my role as an international liaison partner, but the sweet spot is in, in you know, the owner-managed entrepreneurs, self-employed, high net worth individual who's looking for that advice, that guidance in terms of planning tax and, and minimizing their risk once they've acquired, you know, a certain amount of assets. Do you, do you guide them throughout the entire life cycle of their business? Do you have a lot that are beginning stages, mid, or is it more established businesses? Uh, that's a good question. We do. Uh, some people don't think that we want those startup businesses, but we do. We work with them all the time uh, where, where we see potential, not only of the business, but of the person and you know, know that person is going to be successful and helping them Structure at the beginning is so much more important than people realize. Uh, yes, there's some upfront cost to it, but it saves you so much down the road if you're structured properly from the beginning. So we do work with, with startup businesses. Uh, you know, the story I tell, a friend of mine asked me to help his assistant years ago. Her husband had sales about $6,000 in the year, but had this idea. I'd say within five years, I helped him sell his business for $6 million. You've got to see the potential in people. Yeah. So tell us, tell us what March and April were like when, when the whole pandemic shock was upon us. Well, if, if I say it was a disaster, um, you know, uh, in some ways it was, and in some ways it was absolutely great because we learned a lot. 
we had started doing contingency planning back at the end of January when we saw this happening into February. And so we were beefing up our, our IT. We did a couple of tests with everybody in the firm working remotely to make sure our system was robust enough to do that. And so, and we kept discussing when it is we're going to, in our mind, it wasn't a question of if, it was only a matter of time of when, you know, the, the city was gonna be shut, the, the province, the country. And so we were prepared for it. We put the systems in place, we beefed up our IT. So it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, we're a big enough firm that we have those resources. I do know some smaller firms didn't have the resources to have everyone working remotely. So it wasn't as bad as it could have been. For me, and I'm an older guy, I like going to the office. I've always liked going to the office. I've never liked working from home. I have now been continuously working from home since about the middle of March. It's seamless. It works. I don't find it's as efficient as it could be, but it's as efficient as it's going to be. Where, where I find we're falling back a little is in the younger staff and having that mentorship of them, being able to go and talk to them and, and go through cases and, and clients with them. That's, that's really where I see the, the fallback in all of this. I would agree. We, we are struggling with the same scenario, discussing different investment options. So understand that. Uh, in terms of business strategies for clients, uh, have you seen any of your clients do a complete 180 in terms of their business model and has it been successful during this time? Yeah. So one of my clients, and, and he's a relatively new client, is in, in the food services business, uh, had a, a, a brunch spot and, and was doing well. And, and I do have his permission to name the, the firm. So it's called Baddies at Bluer and Lansdowne. And, you know, no one was going to brunch. And so what he's done is created this company out of the same location called Well Done Burgers. And that, that's taken off, paid the rent, kept the, the employees employed, and, and, you know, can make a little bit of money. He also has a, a coffee shop uh, and donuts and named Cops. And what he's done is pivoted that as opposed to the early morning business traffic to the late night people out for a walk, et cetera. And that's taken off as well. And so he's changed the strategies and I, I wouldn't call it a complete 180, but it's at least a 90 degree pivot and made it successful. And as a matter of fact, is looking to open up more locations, even during this pandemic of the donut shop. All right, we'll be sure to check it out uh, next time I'm in that part of the city. So I'd, I'd like to ask you about your high net worth families and, and your larger clients. Are you, are you seeing a difference in, in their approach? Are they sort of jumping on opportunities? Are they still cautious? How, how is their behavior through, through all this now that we're in the fall? You know, I think they're looking for opportunities. There aren't as many opportunities out there that I, at least I haven't seen them. Most people are, you know, that we deal with are well capitalized. So they're not in trouble. They are looking, look at, there's going to be landlords out there if, if they don't get the rents and see what the second wave does. And they're well positioned to take advantage of real estate that comes on the market and investment opportunities. But you know, uh, the stock market's gone crazy through this. I mean, it took that initial 20, 25% dip and then came roaring back. And so there haven't been many opportunities in, in the public markets, uh, which at first there was, but I think people were too timid. They didn't know where the bottom Very was. And you, guys, you guys can speak better about that than I can, but uh, it came roaring back really quickly. 
and surprised me. I thought it was going to be a, a longer term dip. Real estate, people aren't ready to sell yet. Uh, I think that they want to hold on to it. You know, depends on the quality of their tenants and, and see where this goes. But a lot of them are prepared to jump on these real estate deals if there's a bargain. Well, it still hasn't been a long, a long period of time. I mean, for big real estate decisions like that, you need a bit more time frame right. and leeway to plan it out. So. I, I was just going to say, you know, we've even talked to some clients who have real estate and look at doing some tax maneuvers to see if we can lock in the values at a lower value. But the consensus is the value in real estate isn't down that much yet. We don't do valuations, so I'm just taking this from my client's perspective. Okay. And, and we do valuation work, but not in the real estate market. Uh, you know, there's certified appraisers for that. And, and we have an excellent valuation group, actually. But we have seen them tell us that there's not enough dip in the real estate market values yet. I'm not sure it will come then uh, at, at this point. I guess it depends what the second wave does. Because it's really just been, uh, there haven't been many distractions. People are focusing on their businesses and how to execute properly through this instead of focusing on the stock market or some other type of real estate strategy. Agreed. And and it'll be interesting to see uh, as the second wave progresses, because I don't think it's over yet, yeah. what the government does. You know, if the government does a shutdown, uh, that could kill some businesses, which would then in turn drive, may drive real estate down. But if, if the government doesn't shut down completely, uh, then I don't think you're going to see a dip in real estate. Well, speaking of government, can you comment on the existing uh, programs that it, they've offered in terms of the rent subsidies, et cetera, and the impact now and, and maybe possible impact in the future? Look, um, I'll say it very loudly. I'm, I'm not a liberal. and Anyone who reads my LinkedIn post will know that pretty quickly. You know, the liberals did react and they did put some good things in place. The uh, CERB was good, but I think it's got to be phased out. There are too many people now who don't want to return to work uh, because they're making as much, if not a little less or more on CERB, and there's no incentive for them to work. But we have to have a safety net for people, I believe, in protecting the, the more vulnerable members of society. The, the rent was not well thought out because it was really up to the landlords to apply and everyone had to meet all these conditions and there were a lot of landlords who were reticent to to apply uh and and go through this some did but uh, you know i don't have the exact statistics on it but it was not a well-used program and there were uh tenants you know arguing back and forth with landlords because they didn't have to apply and at the end of the day, if you had a long-term lease and the landlord wanted to wait you out, he could because you've got a legal document that says you have to pay rent. And depending if you've done a personal guarantee or not, it gave the landlord leverage over the tenants. The new one that they're bringing out, and I don't have the details on that yet, so it'll be, it'll be tenant-driven and tenant-centric as opposed to having to go through the landlords. That, that's a much better idea because... Like I said, a lot of the landlords, they didn't want the bureaucracy. At first, when they came out, you had to have a mortgage on the property. Uh, you know, if you've owned property for 20, 30 years, chances are you don't have a mortgage on it. And so then they had to, they used to have to pivot. They said, okay, it depends on your expenses. But then they identified the expenses. But then, you know, you had tenants being charged back for the expenses. And there was a lot of confusion in it. So once we get the new details, I think it's, it's a much better idea to have it directly with the tenant. So just, just from that 
quick description of, of the programs. Like it seems new programs are coming out. Rules are changing frequently. Is that making your job more difficult and complex or is it sort of allowing more flexibility and, and sort of a safety cushion like it's, uh, like it's meant to? No, it's the former. Uh, you know, you advise a client to do something and then the next day you've got to, you know, say, whoops, sorry, I know we told you that yesterday, but the government told us, but now you got to do this. And then, you know, another day. And, and sometimes it wasn't just the next day. It was that later that same day. Everyone was kind of learning on the go. This is unprecedented, but they didn't, sometimes it seems like they rushed it out and got politics ahead of policy because, you know, they wanted to uh, just say, hey, we're doing this for you. Actually, in terms of like a political sort of decision-making process, do you think you'll, we'll see a guaranteed basic income in Canada? You know, I gotta be honest that I see both pros and cons to a guaranteed basic income. Uh, I do see the need to protect the, the vulnerable members of society. The, the issue I have with a basic guaranteed income is there's always going to be people who take advantage of these programs that are, are going to apply for it, who are able-bodied. They, they just would prefer to get you know, money from the government than work for it. I'm not completely in favor of it, but I see the need for it with some members of society. So you, you sort of alluded to it, like how how are you dealing and how are your clients dealing with gray area like is fraud pervasive is it uh, one in a million how how are you perceiving that across uh, your firm's client base if if you're able to yeah so look anytime you have free government money you're going to have fraud you can't have one without the other people want to take advantage of it now in terms of fraud amongst my client base I don't know a single case of it. And I will tell you, if I knew of one single case, they wouldn't be my client anymore. I'd fire them. Uh, you know, you build up your reputation. The firm has a reputation. And the last thing you want to do is do something that taints you. Because once you're involved with a client with fraud, no one remembers the details. They just remember you were involved. So across our firm, I do not know of any instances of, of our clients. And, and certainly I, I would expect none of my partners do either. I have heard anecdotally outside of the firm of, of people who have applied for things that they weren't necessarily entitled to. I have told some of my clients when they said, well, maybe if we did this, this, or this, we, we could uh, qualify. And I've said flat out, get someone else to do it for you if you want to do that. Then. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure you've got clients that are both landlords and clients that are tenants and with programs either having been or being extended to those those groups. That's exactly right. And, and our job is to help our clients maximize their after-tax earnings in a legal manner. And, and, you know, and when I say legal, yes, there are some gray areas, but it, it's all legal. There's nothing, we don't cross that line from, you know, either the white into the black or the black into the white. And yeah, do you, are there any policies or procedures uh, that have kind of taken shape during this pandemic that you think will be here to stay? Well, I think the one thing, and you hit on it, is the basic, you know, guaranteed income. And, and that's really getting a lot of traction now, more so than it did before. And, and you know, there, there are some people who say we see the need for it now. So if we do have it, that'll generally be a direct result of this. I, I don't think we'll see any of the rent subsidies stay. And the only thing we're going to see out of this, 
and I don't know how or when or what or where, but we're going to see increased taxes. I mean, the government has big deficit that they've got to pay for. You know, the, some of the rumors have been, will they increase the inclusion rate on capital gains? Will they make principal residences taxable and exclude them from the exemptions anymore? Will they have a wealth tax? Will they have an estate tax? Those are all being abandoned about in the community. You know, but the one thing I will tell you is when the government comes up with something, we will come up with a strategy to help our clients. Uh, in terms of, of us individually, uh, as a firm and as our clients, I think you're going to see more people working from home for longer periods, more people, you know, maybe two or three days a week, whereas before it was one or two days a month. Initially, I think you're going to see offices contract and, you know, people will give up some space. I really, really believe, though, in the long term, it's going to come back. It's going to be cyclical and you're going to see people move back into the offices for that reason of having, you know, mentoring your younger staff or, or your, your managers who you want to become partners and be able to sit down with them, you know, and I'm sorry, maybe it's just my age, but there's, I like personal contact rather than, you know, Zoom and, you know, we use Microsoft Teams to meet. I find after a day, if I've had three or four Zoom meetings, I'm exhausted. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. In terms of actually, I had one quick question, just uh, you mentioned before, just on the cross-border issues, what, uh, or not issues, but the fact that you do cross-border type of tax and accounting for dual citizens or, or that. Can you explain that a bit more? And, and do you see issues with Canadian-U.S. sort of tax relationships? Well, look, everything with the U.S. starts with the upcoming election. And we do not have time to get into that. But let's just Got say, <laughs> let's just say there's going to be big differences depending on who wins that election. And you'll see a lot of seminars and, and webcasts and, and podcasts on the different taxes that's going to happen. Um, but, you know, that stems really, the biggest thing in the U.S. for dual citizens is the U.S. taxes on citizenship or Canada taxes on residency. Once you're a U.S. citizen, you pay tax for life in the U.S. and file returns unless you renounce your citizenship. In Canada, if you leave Canada and stop becoming a resident, you don't give up your citizenship, but you give up your residency, you stop paying tax in Canada. For the most part, it's, it, it's complicated, but you know, manageable with foreign tax credits and, and knowing the different laws. We, work, we don't prepare US returns in our firm. Uh, as I said, we're a member of Crow Global and we have lots of firms around the world. We wanna use a firm that only does taxes in that local jurisdiction. Okay. And, and we're able to work with them. One of the bigger issues is cross-border businesses. As, as business becomes more global, it's a question of whether, you know, you want to open up in a new jurisdiction or you have a filing obligation in a jurisdiction. And we, we certainly work with a lot of uh, clients and businesses to help them, you know, determine where they have to file. Uh, you know, someone coming from the U.S. has no idea about HST, federal sales taxes. And so we have a great group that does that. So that's where we really help clients is understand the difference in the borders. So there's really been no changes through this with your advice on that. It's really just uh, whoever has a scenario where they have to be cross-border business or a personal uh, moving for employment, you'll deal with the scenario. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask about that as well. Off the top, I, I introduced you as the international liaison partner to Crow Global. Uh, the worldwide network. So when, when I hear about 
other countries and, and their experience in the pandemic. It's, it's pretty much exclusively, you know, infection rates, death rates, and you must have a much different perspective on that in terms of how government policies have been brought into effect and how businesses have been been coping and, and that sort of thing. Can you, can you touch on that briefly? Sure. Look, this has been, this will be studied in, in textbooks and in, in, in medical textbooks, business textbooks, history textbooks. I think we're going to have, we're still going to be dissecting this data for years. And, and really what you did was you saw different countries react differently. Some locked down quickly, some didn't. Some made mass mandatory, some didn't. And talking with my counterparts around the world, you know, each country had their own response. Again, I don't want to get into the politics of which country did it right, but I think if you go around the world and see where the infections were lower, where the deaths were lower, uh, you'll see policies on lockdowns, masks, you know, social distancing. So I think you're going to see uh, something in the future of best practices for if God forbid, but if we have another pandemic down the road. And can I, so we have a couple of uh, ending questions first. Sure. In terms of, uh, is there any piece of, small piece of advice that you would give to those young business owners in navigating the early stages and also dealing with sort of uh, unforeseen circumstances? Obviously, this one's a big one. What type of advice would you give to people? Well, I, I think the advice is no matter how much you've made up your mind on what you need to do, always be willing to consider an alternative because you never know when you're going to have to pivot. And as sure as you are that that's the right path, something could happen to say, well, wait a minute, maybe this variable or that variable makes me change my mind. Structure yourself properly at the beginning, because if you have a plan and see where your business is going, if you're not structured properly, it's going to be very expensive down the road when you are successful. And I know that's tough because, you know, startup businesses don't have a lot of money, but work with someone who will put the time and effort in to help mentor you and guide you. Sometimes we see them come to us and they said, well, I haven't had time to worry about tax or accounting. Well, you know, uh, that's a mistake as, as much as it is, but you know, and then some people who wanted, who've been working 20 hours a day because they're, they're hardworking entrepreneurs, they want to do it themselves, which is not the best and most valuable usage of their time. Be flexible because you never know when you're going to need to pivot and be mindful of your structure because if you have the right structure in place, and you'll, it'll contribute to your success. Excellent. So other than a vaccine and, and I guess getting back to the office with, with your colleagues, uh, what are you most looking forward to in 2021, Jordan? Wow, there's so many different things. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, that's really hit is I had a niece get married in June that I wasn't at the wedding. Uh, that was when you had 10 people. Uh, I've, I've been fairly strict in following guidelines. I know not everyone has. Uh, I have another nephew who got engaged and waiting to find out when his wedding is. We have a couple of friends whose kids are getting married. I had a great niece be born this week, just the other day that I'd love to see and, you know, hold. And, and so I'm looking forward to those moments when you can be with your friends and family and just celebrate and not have to worry about being six feet away and wearing masks. There's enough bad things that happen to everyone every day that I really, really want to go back and be able to cherish those celebrations and those good times. Uh, 
Uh, and I'm hoping it's 2021 and not 2022, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. We'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Jordan. That was, uh, that was a great talk. And uh, we appreciate you sharing your, your insights and wisdom. Well, that's great, gentlemen. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to seeing you guys soon in person. 2021. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks. Okay, take care. And that's the show. Thanks again to Jordan Kaplan from Crow Soberman for joining us. And thank you to Jessica Campbell for editing our podcast. If you'd like more information about our firm, you can visit our website at www.fostergroup.ca. Or if you have any questions, you can send me an email to dwinnell at fostergroup.ca. Tune into our next show where we have a conversation with Marcelo Liu, who is the president of BASF Canada. Until next time.